Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. You can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and also read my regular CBSSports.com column, Agents Take, on NFL Contracts and Salary Cap Matters. This week we're going to continue the look at players to watch in a contract year and turn our attention to defensive players. First up will be edge rushers. Um, Von Miller um, missed the 2020 season because of an ankle injury. During the offseason, the Broncos tried to get the Super Bowl 50 MVP to take a pay cut. He's he's making $18 million this year. Total compensation, that was before having to pick up an option for his 2021 contract year. He refused, and they decided to uh, carry him on for the season and not release him. And Von Miller's decision so far has been validated. He was named AFC Defensive Player of the Month for September. Miller had four sacks and a league-high six tackles for loss as the Broncos are off to their first 3-0 start since 2016. He's the only AFC player to record a sack in each of the first three uh, weeks of the season. Problem is, is he going to be in Denver next year? Uh, I suspect that Von Miller, if he doesn't do some sort of extension um, before free agency starts next March, He's hitting the open market. Um, franchise tag for him is going to be $26.45 million. The 120% salary increase provisions will kick in for him. It's going to be based off of his cap number. Essentially, that's essentially what salary means for um, franchise tag purposes. It'll be the first time that he'll be an unrestricted free agent. If Teddy Bridgewater keeps playing well, he would be a franchise tag candidate much more than um, Von Miller because uh, finding a quarterback that is competent is a harder commodity than a pass rusher. Then is Denver wanna, going to want to pay someone who's now 32 years old on a go-forward basis for years 33, 34, potentially 35? That <laughs> um, would remain to be seen. But they also have Bradley Chubb, who's going to be in his fifth-year option for 2022, their first-round pick from 2018, who is out probably a good eight weeks after having ankle surgery in September, uh, latter part of September. He's a pro bowler last year. He's playing on a $12.714 million uh, fifth-year option. Then there's the whole thing, how much do you pay a pass rusher who's going to be in his heading to his mid-30s? Because... Typically, pass rushers don't really age all that well. So, 
Yeah, J.J. Watt this year signed a deal when he asked for his release from Houston for essentially $28 million over two years for incentives to take it up and escalators to take it up $30 million over two years. Von Miller's current contract, he's playing it out, made him the highest-paid defensive player when he was franchised in 2016. Signed for $114.5 million over uh, six years. That averages slightly under $19.1 million per year. He's not going to think that he needs to take a pay cut, particularly if this first month where he was defensive player of the month is in any case not he plays the whole year. Then Von Miller's going to be in first-team all-pro consideration, and he's going to justifiably go, you know what? I'm the same guy I was. I've always been. Same guy that's most likely going to be in the Hall of Fame. And we'll see what he could probably get on the open market because he might price himself out of Denver. Um, let's turn ourselves to another uh, pass rusher um, in Chandler Jones. Uh, Chandler Jones uh, requested a trade um, during the offseason. I suspect that part of that was he was tired of seeing the Cardinals pay outsiders. Guys who hadn't played one down for the team get paid. And by that, I mean DeAndre Hopkins. They trade for him in March 2020, give him a two-year contract extension, averaging $27.25 million per year, which made him the highest-paid non-quarterback in the league. And then they signed J.J. Watt to a contract for worth up to $30 million after he uh, got released from the Texans. So he's like, hey, I've been here. I've been productive. Shouldn't you guys take care of me? Since he was given a franchise tag in February 2017, the only thing that Chandler Jones has done is be second in sacks in the NFL uh, to Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald has 59.5. Chandler Jones has 55. And he did it in 11 fewer games than um, Aaron Donald, who is most definitely the best defensive player um, in the NFL. So what does Chandler Jones go out and do in the uh, season opener against the Titans? To me, it looked like he was taking all his frustrations out on everything against left tackle Taylor Wan and quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Was named uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Week for five sacks, four tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles. Hadn't had a sack since then, but showed that uh, he hadn't had any diminishment in skill, and you shouldn't from a torn bicep. That's what cost him the final 11 games last year. Then, um, after that game, General Manager Steve Kime came out and said that they're not in the business of moving on or getting rid of good football players. It was subsequently revealed that through CBS Sports NFL insider Jason Locken 4 that he received a one-year offer at $14 million base salary in 2022 to extend the contract and, and $1.5 million of incentives for 15 sacks. I don't know if there's a signing bonus in that. But probably a fundamental disagreement in value. There are 10 pass rushers with contracts average over $20 million per year. Jones is going to be 32 next year. Prizing isn't thinking that I'm slowing down. I should probably be in that $20 million per year pass rusher grouping is what he's thinking. But age also factors in the equation with him. Um, you're younger than Von Miller, but the same kind of considerations. Franchise tag for him is going to be $25 million, so he could be leaving the desert. Another interesting pass rusher, or a guy who also plays linebacker, or at least he's listed as a linebacker, is Hassan Reddick. 
Um, last year in Arizona, they quit trying to make him a linebacker after Chandler Jones went down, made him a pass rusher, fourth, tied for fourth NFL, 12 and a half sacks. Now, that didn't translate into a lucrative contract in free agency. Uh, Trey Hendrickson got like $13.5 million per year for being a one-hit wonder, hadn't done anything his first three years, then nobody had him leading the league in sacks. So he goes to the Jets for $13.5 million per year. Son Reddick goes to the Carolina Panthers, gets reunited with his college coach, Matt Rule. One-year deal, $6 million, up to $8 million through incentives. He's off to a great start. Four and a half sacks in three games. Very consistent. First game, one half sacks. Second game, one half sacks. Third game, one half sacks. So he's not going to keep up a pace of having one and a half sacks per game, but that's off to a very nice start. Now, that being said, uh, Carolina doesn't necessarily have to pay a quarterback um, next year. They have Sam Darnold on the uh, fifth-year option, but he's looking pretty good, so they're probably going to want to do an extension with him. He's the prime candidate to get a franchise tag. Uh, Son Reddick, and this would make I the linebacker franchise tag projects to 9.024 million percentage of the cap next year. And if the cap is at the 208.2 million dollar salary cap ceiling, that would put him at 17.88 million. If Reddick can keep this up, he's going to have ammunition to be in that 20 million dollar per year pass rusher club. Uh, another pass rusher. To keep an eye on is Jadavion Clowney. Um, last year, everything went about as poised as it could for Clowney. Played eight sackless games for the Tennessee Titans before he had a season-ending meniscus surgery to repair a meniscus that he tore in his uh, left knee. Goes to Cleveland on a one-year deal for $8 million worth up to $10 million of incentives. Clowney's been trying to get a, a big long-term contract Ever since he was given a franchise tag, or actually in a fifth-year option, I should say, with the Houston Texans, then was franchised after that, traded to the Seahawks uh, for the 2019 season. And 2020 free agency, when he was playing under the franchise tag in Seattle, flashes potential that he could be great as the former number one pick, but has also been injury-prone. Couldn't was looking reportedly asked for over twenty million dollars per year. Couldn't find any takers in that. That's how he ended up in Tennessee for a one-year deal for thirteen million. Now uh, he's got two sacks this year. They came last week against the Chicago Bears, and their offensive line is in disarray. But he's not going to see double teams. You wouldn't think that much because All Pro Miles Garrett is on the other side. So the key to Clowney getting that big payday that has eluded him so far is probably going to be staying healthy and having double-digit sacks. He's never had double-digit sacks in his career. So if David and Clowney can get the double-digit sacks, that may change his long-term fortunes, or maybe he's after what he's gone through past couple of years, having to play on one-year deals. His Lord is asking price on a long-term deal. Nobody's going to pay him on a long-term deal anything that he would have signed last year. So we'll see if the expectations are lessened compared to 2020 free agency when he's in 2022 free agency. Because I think he's just a one-year rental in Cleveland unless he's going to play for what would be perceived as a home-down discount compared to his previous 
expectations in free agency. One more edge rusher to look at is Jason Pierre-Paul. He's going to be uh, 33 in January. I suspect he's on an Indomitian Sioux plan now, which is I've made money. I'm happy to – I want to be in a winning situation. File sign short-term, one, two years, and make pretty decent money. I'm good. The last deal he signed was $25 million over two years. Um, with another million per year in incentives, so maybe to stay put, Tampa's in win-now mode. That's something that could get it done for him, uh, not to have to uh, go someplace else um, next year. Let's turn our attention to the interior of the defensive line. Not quite the uh, type of names on the interior. You've got uh, Akeem Hicks, which is kind of interesting from the standpoint that he was allowed to shop himself for a trade. He and his um, agent Drew Rosenhaus during the offseason. Nothing came to fruition of that. So he reversed course and now would like, wanted a contract extension. Couldn't get anything done. Uh, now says he wants to finish his career in um, Chicago. Uh, he's 31 years old. Biggest issue with that is everyone in the decision-making capacity has a tenuous situation. GM Ryan Pace should be on the hot seat. Head coach Matt Nagy is on the hot seat. If there's a regime change, you don't know what the new GM, new coach wants. Neither one of them would be vested in Akeem Nix. He may not be a fit scheme-wise, age-wise. The probably going to go on a rebuilding process with Justin Fields as quarterback for the future. So a guy like Akeem Nicks, Hicks, I should say, may be playing his last days in Chicago this year, notwithstanding um, what he said before the season started about when to finish his career there. Another interesting interior defensive lineman um, is Jaron Reed, who's in Kansas City now. The Seahawks really wanted to keep him this year. He was in the second year of a two-year extension, averaging $11.5 million per year. Was supposed to make right around $8 million this season. They wanted to play salary cap gymnastics with him. So they could take his $8 million, basically pay him the same thing he was supposed to make this year, turn it a majority of the signing bonus, and then add voiding dummy years to lower the cap hit. He balked at that. Um... Got cut and lost money in the process. Signed a one-year deal for $5.5 million in Kansas City. Maxes out at seven through incentives. Kansas City defense has been terrible this year. He has no sacks, and he's only had one true, truly productive year. 2018, um, had 10.5 sacks. Most sacks since then was last year in 2020, had 6.5 but that Kansas City defense, second worst rushing defense in the NFL, giving up 160.3 yards per game, tied for a league worst 31.7 points per game given up, have four sacks in three games as a team. That's tied for 30th in the NFL. So nobody on the defense is getting anything done, and Jaron Reed is a part of that. So he's going to have, if all he could get last year, or I should say this year, was or what he was willing to play for was 5.5 on a one. He's not doing anything to change those fortunes 
where there should be a lot of demand for him in free agency. So, still early. We're not even a quarter of the way through the season, but not a good start to a contract year for Jaron Reed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's uh, turn our attention to uh, linebackers, and by that I mean off-ball linebackers. And the two which are probably the most intriguing are Leighton Vander Esch of the Cowboys and Anthony Barr of the Vikings. Um, Cowboys passed on Vander Esch's fifth-year option for nine point. One four five million after drafting uh, Micah Parsons with the 12th overall pick. Problem with um, Van Der Esch has been durability, and those concerns date back to his days at Boise State. Played great as a rookie and can't stay healthy, kind of like Sean Lee, who was a talented linebacker the Cowboys had who just retired this year, but is never constantly available. There's a log, log jam a linebacker now with Dan Quinn uh, coming over to be defensive coordinator, the former Falcons head coach. One, you have uh, Parsons. You have Jalen Smith. He brought over Keanu Neal, who was a safety that was converting a linebacker. And the season opener against um, the Buccaneers, they were kind of platooning him. Parsons and Neal and then Smith and Van Der Esch would come in. But that's kind of resolved itself. Demarcus Lawrence gets hurt, so they're basically turning Parsons for the time being into a defensive end. Um, Neal's on the COVID list. So Van Der Esch's play time has gone up um, steadily uh, each week, which uh, is going to bode well for him trying to attract interest in free agency because he played 22% the first week, 52% the second week, and 76% the third week. So one, he's got to stay healthy. Two, we'll see how the playtime shakes out once Dallas has a full complement of defensive players back. Um, Jalen Smith probably won't be there next year. He hasn't lived up to uh, the contract he signed as a, a couple of years ago um, where he gave up uh, unrestricted years vowed at $12.8 million per year. So he'll probably be out of the mix. But if you didn't want Van Der Esch at a fully guaranteed $9.145 million option, how much are you going to pay him on a go-forward basis? If I'm Van Der Esch and you get rid of Smith, I'm like, hey, you're going to pay an off-ball linebacker 12.8 for the UFA year, so that's what I want. So I see Van Der Esch probably playing elsewhere next year unless Dallas, uh, look, they look like they should win the NFC East. Does win the NFC East and they're a serious contender to get out of the NFC and go to the Super Bowl, then maybe Jerry's going to be inclined to think he's that close to get in, finally get an elusive another Super Bowl win and be willing to uh, make the investment. Now, Anthony Barr is going to turn 30 in March. Um, he only played two games in 2020 because of a pec injury, has yet to play this year, 
uh, because of an injury. In 2019, he was essentially a New York Jet uh, when he was a free agent. It agreed to a five-year, $75 million contract. Had a change of heart before put the uh, ink to paper. Goes back to the Vikings, $67.5 million over five years, up to $75 million in incentives based on sacks. And that was top-of-the-market money for off-ball linebackers then. Took a pay cut this year from $12.9 million to $10 million. Um, didn't want, he said he didn't want his last memories as a Viking to be the injury plague season. And in the process, they made the 2022 and 2023 years voiding. So he'll be free after the year because last day of the 2021 league year, those contract years void. But he's going to have to revert back to the old Pro Bowl form to come anywhere close to getting the contract that he's uh, currently playing under is a Viking, the one he originally signed, not the one to reduce salary. Let's go to cornerback. And New England's got an interesting situation. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year, had, had outperformed his contract. So that's why they'd agreed to advance salary last year out of his contract, which reduced his total compensation from... 2021 supposed to be 12 million to just over 7.9. He's on PUP because of the uh, torn quad he had last year, partially torn quad, which required offseason surgery. He won a new contract, didn't show up for minicamp. Um, he's 31 right now. So part of the problem is there's something that I call the Patriot way, which differs from what the general public calls the Patriot way which under Bill Belichick, it's been better to get rid of a player a year too early as opposed to a year too late, whether it's because of salary, performance, or age. And Gilmore is probably going to have to come back and show that he's the Stephon Gilmore that we've seen, the one who got the $65 million five-year contract to go to New England. But cornerbacks, is they age if they have any size? You know what happens to them? Do like Charles Woodson and Rod Woodson, um, Kareem Jackson. They become safeties. <laughs> so you don't see a lot of cornerbacks, 32, 33, 34 years old, playing at an extremely high level. I know Champ Bailey was one who did um, in those years. Charles Woodson made the transition later than most. He was approaching his mid-30s. But that's defying the odds. So, one, Gilmore is going to have to come back and play well. And, two, someone's going to have to be comfortable with the history of aging corners for him to get a huge payday, which I don't think will be in New England. They've had no inclination to trade him. And what makes their situation very interesting is they have J.C. Jackson on the other side, who is playing this year on a second-round restricted free agent tender of $3.384 million. This is his opportunity to show he can be the number one corner for the at least six games that Gilmore is out since Gilmore can't come off PUP until the Jets game in week seven, October 24th game. So this is his chance to show he can hold up as a number one corner. J.C. Jackson, second NFL in interceptions last year with nine. Since the start of the 2019 season, he has the most interceptions of anyone in the league with 16. That's four clear of whoever's who's in second place. 
if he does hold up, and given there's like a five-year age gap between um, Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, he's a potential franchise tag candidate uh, for New England next year. And that franchise tag for uh, cornerbacks, how I project it um, to be, would be uh, 14, uh, 17.428 million at the 208.2 million dollar cap. That it's going to take up 8.371 um, percent of the cap. But even if you don't franchise him, to me, he's got to be looking at what happened in 2020 free agency as what could be indicative of him. Byron Jones um, left the Cowboys to go to the Dolphins on a five-year, $82.5 million contract, which averaged $16.5 million per year, which briefly made him the highest-paid corner. Uh, he's been leapfrogged by a bunch of guys since then, um, including Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Marlon Humphrey, Tredavious White. But it had a then-record $54.375 million of guarantees and $40 million was fully guaranteed at signing. So, he's probably thinking, if I hit the open market, I keep doing what I did last year, I'm going to be fine. A situation like that. Now, Carlton Davis in Tampa Bay is their number one corner. And their secondary has been decimated at the cornerback position. That They went out and signed Richard Sherman off the street and they're going to stick him in the starting lineup. Uh, this week against uh, New England. That's how banged up they are. Well, Davis has to be thinking, well, I saw Dory Jackson, Shaquille Griffin, William Jackson signed for 13 to $13.5 million per year last year. That's got to be my floor. Worst case scenario, that's what he's thinking. He's also hoping maybe Chris Godwin gets a second franchise tag. I don't get the first one. It'd be the same thing we're talking about for J.C. Jackson. So, uh, typically in free agency, teams like to raid the defending champions. So, if he gets the open market, um, there should be some interest in him. Another guy to keep an eye on, Darius Williams, the other corner for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Undrafted free agent, just like uh, J.C. Jackson um, in 2018. Rams gave him a first-round tender of $4.766 million. Familiarity brings comfort. And last year's Rams defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, is the Chargers head coach. They don't have a significant investment in cornerbacks for the team cross town. Plays in the same stadium. So far. Would not surprise me... If the San Diego Chargers, because of Brandon Staley being the head coach, made a huge run at Darius Williams um, in free agency. Let's go to safety. Great time to be a safety. Two guys were franchised. Uh, Marcus Williams, Marcus May. I always said there was no way they should do a deal before the July 15th deadline for franchise players to sign long term. For one reason, we knew the safety market was going to jump because of what Jamal Adams was asking for. He was asking to be paid as a defensive playmaker, not a safety. He took the safety market to a new level, to $17.5 million per year. So both these guys are going to reap the benefit of that. Now, Marcus Williams conceivably could get a second franchise tag, which the 120% rule would put it at a minimum 
franchise tag for him be $12,734,400. And that's because all the other guys that they, most of the other candidates they have to franchise, they've signed long-term. Ryan Ramsey got a long-term deal, who was in his fifth-year option. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore got a long-term deal, fifth-year option. If Jameis Winston continue, plays really well, he, he'll get a franchise tag and Marcus Williams potentially get to the open market. Now, Marcus May's situation in New York was kind of mind-boggling uh, to me because the reports came out that the Jets' first offer was like an $8.5 million per year range. It's like, that's borderline bad faith because why would he agree to, one, a deal which is below what the franchise tag is of $10.612 million, Two, you've had like 11 safeties sign in for over $11 million per year the past uh, since 2019 free agency began. This thing got off the rails. <laughs> so the Jets have a uh, poor track record in keeping homegrown, talented players. Leonard Williams who's now making $21 million per year with the Giants. They traded him away. Jamal Adams, highest paid safety. The negotiations are going to have to take a whole different tenor for there to be any type of uh, future for Marcus May if the Jets, and as bad as they are, why would he want to stay? (laughs) Some people were talking about, well, he's an older guy. He's going to be 29 next year. That'll be held against him. I'm like, not anymore. (laughs) We just saw a 32-year-old Harrison Smith become the second-highest-paid safety in the league at $16 million per year. So you can't legitimately try to hold age against Marcus May for a guy that's uh, going to sign an extension for years approaching his mid-30s. <laughs> He's got an ankle injury right now, and his agent tweeted, which is a curious tweet, that he should be back in time before the trading deadline. Well, <laughs> that is... I don't know if I should read something into that, but maybe his agent's like, please get me out of here. But uh, I suspect even if he stays for the rest of the year, no trade, they're not going to franchise him again, and Marcus May is going to hit the open market. Uh, We have uh, Tyran Matthew of the Kansas City Chiefs, which is another guy that patience has uh, benefited him. When he signed to go to Kansas City in 2019, the deal tied with Landon Collins of the Washington football team, the main highest paid safety at $14 million per year. All he's done those two years is be a first-team All-Pro and has the most interceptions among safeties uh, since he got there with 12. Missed the first game of the uh, year because of uh, COVID-19, but season debut against the Ravens, had two interceptions, returned one for a touchdown. Um, general, Chiefs general manager Brett Veach has said he's going to try to do everything to keep Matthew, who wants to stay in Kansas City. And he cited a $15 million salary cap reduction from where the cap would have been without the pandemic. But, you know, everyone else has that same issue, so that kind of falls on deaf, deaf ears to me. Since Matthew's last deal made the highest paid safety, he's going to be thinking, I should be right up there with that Jamal Adams, 72 uh, $70 million over four years, worth the $72 million in, uh, through incentives and salary escalators. And then that $16 million per year um, deal with um, Harrison Smith also means you can't um, hold age against him. He's got the highest cap number right now for safety at 
uh, $19,733,334. So 120% salary provisions for the franchise tag would put him at $23.63 million for a franchise tag in 2022. That's not going to happen. And if in any way, they'd probably want to give it to Orlando Brown. They gave significant draft capital to get to play left tackle. But Matthew is going to, at worst, be the second highest paid safety if you do an extension with him to stay in Kansas City long term unless he decides, you know what, I've made money, I've signed two big contracts, I'm going to give him a little bit of a break because I want to, want to stay here. But um, left to his agent Tom Condon's devices, that's not going to happen. And we're going to take a look at one last safety. Uh, Jesse Bates from the Cincinnati Bengals. This guy flies under uh, radar nationally, second-round pick in 2018. Second-team All-Pro by the Associated Press last year. He expressed some frustration during training camp um, when interviewed by the local media about not having a new contract and then was like, I'm not going to address this thing anymore. Before him venting publicly, he said he wanted to be in Cincinnati long-term. You don't hear a lot of players say, I want to be in Cincinnati long-term. So when you got one who says that, keep them around. Bengals off to a really good start, 3-1 and one after beating the uh, Jaguars um, on Thursday night. So Cincinnati dragging their feet is going to cost them money. Had they got that deal done before Jamal Adams, highest paid safety was Justin Simmons, who was franchised for a second time by Denver at $15.25 million per year. You ain't getting Jesse Bates for Justin Simmons' money now that you have Jamal Adams and Harrison Smith done. Plus, you guys don't do traditional guarantees. Your guarantees are light. Green Bay, Steelers, Bengals, except for limited players, have a couple exceptions, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, and now T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh. Signing bonuses only guaranteed money. They have these uh, third, fifth-day roster bonuses and second and third year, if applicable, substitute for guarantees. So you got to deal with a more team-friendly structure and pay him, so you're going to have to accelerate the cash flow to make a deal with Jesse Bates. But in any event, you cost yourselves money by letting Jamal Adams Reset the safety market, and yes, he'd be a franchise tag candidate if they can't get something long-term done. And typically when Cincinnati wants somebody to stay, for the most part, they get them to stay that's homegrown talent. But uh, when you drag your feet and you aren't proactive with a core player who's in his prime, it becomes more costly. But anyway, that is this week's Inside the Cap. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That is C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And you can read my CBSSports.com column, Agent's Take. Uh, Thanks for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Goodbye.